Democracy will never be defeated. Democracy is non-negotiable. Primary directive. War. Hello and welcome back to the Million Dialogue, where today we're going to be talking about books six through eight of the Iliad, where I'm joined again by Willow and Cleo, where I think Willow wanted to start by talking about the nature of justice. I sure did, James. Thanks for that little introduction there. Yeah, I was trying to throw you a softball on that one. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about justice, as you said. Um, I guess sort of generally what it is if there's a difference between um the justice between the gods and goddesses and then the justice of man there's a quote in the uh Lattimore at 55 but as i've been made aware that is not consistent so i'll just read it i guess or i'll just summarize it this is um when menelaus is considering taking the Trojan for ransom and Agamemnon like happens upon him and tells him not to do it specifically because of the way that he was treated in his own house when the Trojans were his guests when they stole Helen. Um, And because of that, nobody, including um, babies in the womb, (laughs) should be spared in Troy. And then our narrator is like, "Uh, the hero spoke like this and bent the heart of his brother since he urged justice. Um, thought that was a really interesting use of the word justice there. Um, and then just, I don't have any specific point to look at for this one, but um, with Zeus, we see that he's going to let or create the fate that the Achaeans are going to win the war. Um, but he sort of takes pity on the Trojans and has the tides turn so that they get to do at least a little bit of killing in this war um, before it's all over. And so why do we do that? Or why do we see him do that? What does that have to do with justice? Um, uh, That was kind of long-winded. So I guess I'll just leave it there. Yeah, I mean, it's good to sort of break that into parts, but it's probably worthwhile asking why it is that killing... A uh, surrendering foe is regarded as justice in this sense. Um, has the Trojan done anything, I guess, existentially wrong that he deserves to die for? Is he sort of responsible for the sins of the Trojans as a whole? Yeah, that's definitely what it seems like. Any Trojan at all uh, should be murdered because of the fact that Menelaus's wife was stolen from him. Um little odd if you ask me but definitely seems to be the system they're operating with well are they operating with it or is it just Menelaus it seems like Menelaus himself personally has you know some sort of interest in in killing every Trojan he finds but it doesn't seem like that applies to the case of Diomedes and uh, Glaucus did they let people go well, yeah, when, when they have their little moment and they exchange armor. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and we even see that later on in uh, book six between uh, Hector and Ajax. Yeah. 
So, I mean, we, we have this contrast in the two moments where opposing soldiers don't kill each other. Um, it, it strikes me that maybe what's going on here is more personal to Menelaus than necessarily a, a general justice that the Greeks would be doing, right, by killing every Trojan they find. And I mean, I guess, you know, there, there's a part of that about how much people are expected to put aside their personal motivations and personal um, animus in war, if that makes sense. You know, is, is war a personalized thing that individuals can get justice through? Well, this war is a complicated one to ask that question about. <laughs> Uh, seems like the whole point is not to put aside your own personal issues with the other side. But but some soldiers do. Yeah, some of them do. But is that sort of the oddity in this war when the entire thing is like because of Paris being an asshole? Just as so much as like the, the leader of the... Achaeans, Agamemnon, is like, nah, dude, screw that. We're not letting anybody go. Everybody's getting murdered. We're slaughtering. We're here to kill. Don't care if they're women, children, or unborn, like, to the sword. And then it seems like in these rare instances of, like, friendship and brotherhood coming out across both sides, that's, like, the oddity in this war. Not the, you know, murder because you're upsetty spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you could ask whose fault that is, though, because Menelaus wasn't originally going to kill this guy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, how much is this being driven by Agamemnon and his own sort of personal goals, I guess you could say, versus, you know, is this what the soldiers actually want to do? It seems like the soldiers on their own are, are more restrained um, when they're not being pushed by by Agamemnon. Yeah, I don't know. Like, every time (laughs) I'm reading the book, I'm like, no, this is, like, a rational army. And then every time we talk about it, I remember that Agamemnon seems a little bit uh, crazy and selfish, if you will. That's that's probably a good way to put it, yeah. Or, I mean, I I guess, you know, we haven't gotten there yet. But, yeah, I sort of say that because the attitudes change as the war goes on. And it does seem like the individual Greek soldiers become more vicious as the war continues, but I suppose at this side, or at this, at this state anyways, there there is some recognition that other soldiers in the war are still people, at least. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty impressive for nine years of, like, brutal combat. Well, the Greeks just now build a fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they were doing for nine years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, if you say contrast that with Athena and Hera um, trying to go under Zeus's nose um, to go back to the battlefield and the way he responds to that. Eh, I don't know. I mean, it, is that really comparable? Is it in a similar situation where Zeus has animus towards his own daughter to be, to be compared to a war? The symbology sure points that way, doesn't it? Okay, expand on that. Well, just very uh, on the face of it, she she do be the goddess of war, so 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was about all I had to say. <laughs> I'm not sure that's symbology. Well, just you know, I just I I I don't I don't quite have a full thought about it, but I just as you were saying that I was just giggling to myself because I love that in that scene that Zeus sends it's Iris, right? The messenger. Yeah. Um, it was like, you know what? Tell Athena that I'm super mad at her. And <laughs> if she does this, then I'm going to hurl her off of this mountain. So she bleeds for 10 years. And then he's like, but you know, tell Hera that I love her. And I know this is just <laughs> what she'd be like. So what are you going to do? I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> It's really the, the epitome of the, my wife is a bitch and I love her so yeah. much. <laughs> Except maybe not, I don't think. <laughs> that really scans. I do really love the bit where like Zeus sits all the gods down, tells them to stop fighting or he's going to throw them into hell. And like after he's done, he goes to Athena and he's like, I didn't really mean that. You mean that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, in talking about justice, it seems important to notice that, you know, it feels like the stakes just aren't that high for the gods. Like the the part we've been talking about when Zeus is about to go into, you know, send some thunderbolts down, cause some chaos. He puts like the fates of the Trojans and the Greeks on a scale. <laughs> and it's just, it seems a little bit arbitrary that he's like, oh, I watch as the fate of the Greeks sinks down and the Trojans rise up. And so... I guess I will lend my support to the Trojans for the day. And of course, there's also the whole thing with Thetis and his promise to Achilles' mother. But in that moment, it's so like, oop, here we go, put it on a scale, time to go, toss down a thunderbolt. So, I mean, justice in that situation feels much less, maybe necessary than justice in the situation of real consequences in human lives, <laughs> like like Glaucus and Diomedes, fuck Diomedes, versus <laughs> I don't know. Which I, Sorry. <laughs> I I thought about this for literally twenty to thirty minutes before we started recording. I was like, I'm gonna say it wrong. I'm gonna say it wrong. I'm gonna say it wrong. And you know what? <laughs> I did. But the point being that you know, I think when we talk about justice, we mean something like like a measurement of value, like I lost this. And therefore, to become even, you have to lose something of comparable value. But that doesn't seem to apply in the case of the gods who really experience very little consequence. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up, though, that um, <laughs> Agamemnon is like, what if we killed all their babies? <laughs> and that was and that is phrased as justice in that passage. Do you have that like same word in the... Fitzgerald too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've rough justice. I figured that was too. straight from the Greek, but you never know. With these yeah. white men and their translations. Yeah, it's in Fagus too. I think mine says no baby boy still in his mother's belly, not even he escaped. Yep. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Which, you know, I mean I guess you can ask like we're supposed to actually interpret that as being justice, or is that just Agamemnon, you know, pushing to get his way? It at least in that moment to Menelaus sounds like justice. We know that, I think. 
Do we have any good reason to trust Agamemnon? I think we have the opposite. Well, Agamemnon doesn't say it's justice. That's a comment from Homer. Yeah. But he calls he calls Agamemnon a hero and then says he pushes justice. And I is that point blank period, or is that like from the perspective of Menelaus? That's how we're supposed to interpret that. Well, one thing I think is that, uh, as I recall, hero is just much more value neutral in Greek. The idea of a hero is less someone who does moral things and does the right thing, and more like somebody who is just capable of more, stronger, greater. We see that with Achilles to a point, right? He does some really horrible things. He's still called, you know, greatest of the Greeks. Yeah, that's true. Um, can we circle back to what you just said that we kind of didn't talk about? Yes, we can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to remind me. <laughs> I said so many things. I just wanted to talk about what the gods, uh, as you were saying, like they don't seem to suffer much. So, like, what do they lose in this? Like, we clearly see that they have some like personal affection for individual men. Um, and they say that they have the same for, like, cities in general. Um, but it seems more so like the men that they like are in cities, so then they like these cities as well. Um, how much does that loss, like, actually affect them? Like, Zeus has so many goddamn kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, we're not there yet, but when Sarpedon killed. Zeus is genuinely um, sad about that. So th- there does seem to be some genuine care on the part of the gods. Athena and Hera, you know, they, they contravene Zeus's will because of how upset they are at the death of the Achaeans. Um, it doesn't seem entirely arbitrary, I suppose. No, not arbitrary, but like, okay, so a couple of times throughout the reading we did for tonight, we see like, um, charioteers get shot and then like the main hero that we're following it's like oh he was saddened but they're in war so find a new driver and let's keep going and like that's about all of the emotion that we get about some of these people dying from their like closest companions is it kind of like that or do is it like you know if you i don't know it just seems like you would be like devastated like you would stop arguing in like a weird council with your weird fucked up family and be like, <laughs> okay, guys, we, I'm not, we cannot allow our children to murder each other. Like, can we talk about this? Well, they're still bound to fate, though. I mean, I think there's a certain point being made with Zeus that none of them really have control over how this ends. You know, there's, there's no way they, they stop the war between the, the Achaeans and the Trojans. But I mean, at a certain level, some of it does seem to be just a matter of prestige for the gods that their hero won or their city won or their favorite side won is, uh, you know, enhancing their own sort of personal glow, for lack of a better term. (laughs) You know, because when you see sort of Diomedes being spurned on by uh, Athena and he ends up stabbing Ares and he stabs uh, what the fuck's her name? Aphrodite. Yeah, Aphrodite. Thanks. Um, 
you know, Helen and Athena both go back and, and mock her for it. I mean, Hera. Did I say Helen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are all girls just the same to you, James? <laughs> I think I think I'm doing my best feminist reading I can. All right. Wait. Anyways, the fucking point. <laughs> <I wanna make. laughs> Some of this does seem to be just like sort of personal jockeying between them, which that part of it is very, I guess you could say, arbitrary on the part of the gods. That someone's going to die simply because like they don't like their brother or sister. Yeah, I guess I'm putting the word justice in the gods. I don't think we ever actually get them like using that or Homer describing their decisions being swayed by justice or anything. Um, so it might be like, I don't know, something similar, but different since as Cleo pointed out, they don't really experience consequence in the same way. I don't know that they can really experience justice in the same way. I mean, this is that, (laughs) that sort of classic tuck everlasting question. (laughs) Everyone remember that? I'm sorry. What What? are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You, You all remember tuck everlasting? the fuck is a tuck everlasting uh, oh god damn it well this is gonna be a really good point but, um but nothing can matter if you're immortal shit just goes on and on and on and it happens again and again and somebody dies and somebody's born and blah 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 that's from tuck everlasting hmm. okay my my point is that i you know just <laughs> there is a point i swear i promise you, you know you could have just said if you're immortal things take less significance <laughs> but i wanted to give it a grounds in tuck everlasting a, a literary masterwork by natalie babbitt and you guys are fools <laughs> for not having read it great movie um the waterfall is like an hour away from our house so we can go visit one day there is no hour anymore cleo sorry oh okay well that's kind of hurtful <laughs> We all live in different states now. My house. <laughs> Except James. James doesn't Forgive live in a Forgive me for state. living in a... <laughs> no taxation without representation. You tell him. Um. Anyways, my point being is that justice is only something that can apply to, you know, a life that is finite. Because <laughs> it doesn't... Nothing matters if you just keep living get over anything i don't know if that's entirely true though i mean the gods are deathless but it does seem like they can suffer genuine consequences you know, zeus does have the power to sort of you know take them and throw them into the pits with cronus they uh, you know, they're not sort of beyond consequence for their actions i mean to a point but you know you get out of the pits eventually <laughs> That's my advice for the day. <laughs> uh, you'll have to ask Prometheus about that. Use a titan, whatever. Um, no, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't entirely agree that they're without consequence and entirely arbitrary in the choices that they make. They're, you know, very much filled with, I guess, human emotion. They They want to see certain things happen. They're not indifferent to the suffering um, of mortals, although they're very picky in who they care 
that suffers. But I mean, I guess is that is that fair? Do you get the sense that these are gods that are totally uncaring about the fate of mortals? I mean, they clearly no, it's care. Just, it's like their little game. Yeah, that's I guess. Yeah, I share the same sentiment. Like they clearly care, but is it for like good enough reason to incite this much like death for? I don't know. If you want to say that it's because of justice or on behalf of justice, that's one thing. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm. I guess I'm not convinced that it is. Do the heroes seem to think otherwise? Um. Do they seem to think they're fighting on behalf of justice? Is that your question? Behalf of justice, behalf of reasons that aren't good enough. I guess maybe Achilles is sort of the exception, but. For the most part, it does seem like they're they're rather filled with meaning from from these gods and from the reasons the gods have that there isn't like a total disconnect yeah i mean the the uh what is it the the rule of being a good guest or being inviting that's a zeus thing right that's like a zeus oath anybody know what the hell i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> they talk about it a lot in the odyssey yeah uh, the, the rules of hospitality but i don't I thought that was more a Greek culture thing and less a Zeus situation. Oh, no, no, you're right. I just thought that they attributed it to uh, Zeus. I thought that's who they, like, invoked during the oath. Although, I'm just trying to say that, uh, well, I'm not trying to say, that was to the point of, I feel like, I don't know how to put this. It seems more so that, they only call on the gods because they want to win and they're not really fighting on behalf of any of the gods, like, values. I guess. But it's hard because it's so intertwined. It's, I, I, I don't know, it's hard to talk about too because it's hard to parse out, like, what is actually, uh, like, sent from the gods and what is sort of, like, that's just how you speak about things in Greek culture. You know what mm. I mean? Like, how much how much do the gods actually have active participation in what's happening, and how much of it is, like, literary device, for lack of a better word? That's, that's like, really diminishing the role of them. I'm just not quite sure how to put yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's... Uh, from the perspective of just some Greek dude... <laughs> pick any... Any Greek dude, this all looks kind of goofy. You know, if you're just out um, farming your fields and then some guy's like, we got to go to war for nine years because um, somebody's wife was stolen. You're like, okay, sure. And then the things that you see and the things that happen, including things like, you know, the breaking of the truce and all these little events that sort of spiral out into massacres you know i think you have to find some way to make that square with how you think of the world (laughs) and it occurs to me that one way to do that is to say oh here's these forces they're very powerful and they they kind of care they're interested but they're also petty motherfuckers and so (laughs) you know when when it seems like things are happening for you know, the whims of fate or just these chance little fluke events. You have to have some way to point at that and say, okay, I understand what happened here. I can find a cause. 
Um, yeah, I mean, on your point of like the gods being petty uh, as fuck, it does strike me that there's uh, there's a lot more intelligibility in that than at least for for someone maybe say a battlefield than you know the idea of like an omnipotent. an omnipotent god that's sort of like outside of time and outside of space um, but rather you know very personal beings who are involved with the events that that go on Um, it seems more intelligible and and maybe a little more comforting um, to me at least i don't know is that is that fair tell that to the crusaders Well, no, I mean, you know, I get a sense that, you know, if some, if I had the sense that a deity was, was there with me, you know, actively involved in the events occurring, um, it seems like that brings more comfort and intelligibility to, to what's going on. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Like, if you think, you know, this strange lady up in the sky really loves me because I'm crafty. <laughs> <laughs> like I, it probably helps when you're like mm, one wrong move and I will be dead forever <laughs> there's a lot of like petty ass people in this book though like not just the gods you know what I mean it, like the whole thing is kind of like come on grow up I think Diomedes honestly sort of stands out as like the only non petty person him and Hector maybe. Hector's on thin fucking ice <laughs> Diomedes is too, you know. Well, you know, he just he he fucked Ares up because he could. Like, did you really need? Yeah, that kind of fucks them. It does, but it's also like, come on, dude. Like, that's like come. That's like an unstable god of war. Like, did you really need to prove that point? Was it that important? Yeah, it's fucking awesome. He does it. He stabs him. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying it's a little petty. I mean, I wonder, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but I do wonder how much of our judgment of them is influenced by classic, you know, Judeo-Christian morality, because... Oh, all of it is. Uh, (laughs) That's the whole thing. Oh, God, we're Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) I want to say for the record that I'm not a Catholic. Uh, I'm also not a Catholic. (laughs) We grew up in America, guys. Come on. Well, yeah, we I guess... grew up in America, and America is Greco-Roman. Hmm. Little, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> Athena, but make her marry? Look, Athena is on the Medal of Honor, all right? So I'm going to say we get the Greeks. Okay. You don't need to... I live in Philadelphia, James. I can't walk one foot in Center City without weird Greek and Roman, like, <laughs> statue. There's a picture. I'm sorry. This is so off topic. There's a there's a fucking statue of Benjamin Franklin in a toga in my city. That fucks. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it, it's like, near the state house. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hector and Diomedes. Um... Bro, oh my god. Can I just say, I... Have I had not opened this book since freshman year, so four years ago, and I fucking forgot how devastating book six is to read. Like, oh, when he's little baby boy, yeah. when he takes off his <laughs> yeah. little helmet and he snuggles his little baby boy, and you know that 
his wife and his child are going to be like brutally murdered publicly. It's like, oh God. Yeah. And then he's like, well, you know, you're moved and you're touched. And then Hector's like, it's going to be so cool when he comes home from war smeared with the yeah. blood of his enemy. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Let, I mean, Hector, a little bit of an asshole, but also if I had the trad wife dream, I would be like dripping. <laughs> Kind of a dill. <laughs> What's a girl to do? What's a girl to do? He's, you know, he's he got a big smile and big arms. He can do it both. He can do it all. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> um, Alright. Oh, okay. Can I change the topic? Yeah. I mean, I thought it would have been nice to talk about, like, the role of Hector's family, but yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to talk about Helen again. I'm just saying, if she were a better woman, would she have tried to get away by now? Like, is she playing both sides just a little bit and um, kind of being a bitch? Not a bitch. I don't use that word. I'm just you use saying. that word all the fucking time. Stop. Stop it. No, I don't. I don't want our viewers <laughs> to think of me that way. <laughs> um, so do I think she's like at fault for being in Troy, do I think she's at fault for not? Look, I just mean, regardless of, okay, so we can say that it was Aphrodite's fault, you know, how much weight does that really hold? Whatever. Um, but it it's not like, like, there's so many Greeks right outside her front door. If she just, like, got over the wall and she was like, <laughs> Please take me to my husband. All of this would be room over. For it. But she's clearly like enjoying living in Troy. You know what I mean? Like she might miss Menelaos and she might miss the Greeks, but she's not having a bad time. I mean, she seems like she's I, having she's a bad doing time. a lot of crying. She, There's some weeping involved. But she's sitting with all of her riches, with all these handmaids, like taking care of her every beck and call, looming or whatever you call it, weaving on her loom. Looming on her weave. Looming on her weave. And then there's like all these weird moments where she calls herself, like at, in the beginning of book one, she calls herself a slut. And then at the middle of book six, she calls herself a nasty bitch, evil, intriguing. Like what? I just want to know what the hell's going on. Sorry. That's like, again, it's all a little more place. pathetic too, considering she's doing this for Paris, who is like the most like worthless character in this book. Hey, but he's hot. <sighs> She likes a twink. <sighs> Which was We've very hot to the Trojans. I think it was very hot to the Greeks, but... Yeah, it was. <laughs> what a different time they lived in. I, Yeah, I just think it's tough to kind of make judgments about her when we have not that much information about the actual logistics of her circumstances. Yeah. Like, could she have returned to the Greeks? Maybe. I don't get the impression that Aphrodite is really willing to allow her to do so. You know. It's not really her story, you know? So it's like... Yeah, I guess. I just think that she doesn't deserve my sympathy. <laughs> okay. I mean, I am sympathetic to her. I, you know, I don't... This isn't, it seems to me, a situation of her choosing... I guess maybe you could argue, yeah, she could sneak out of the city or something to that effect. But I don't really see that being 
very viable option. I guess. I just, I don't know. Whatever. Let's talk about Paris. Yeah, why is anybody fighting on his behalf? Yeah, they all seem to hate him, like, a lot. Um, he, he's just outright contemptible, really. You know, he's hanging out with his wife while people are dying on a battlefield outside. And, you know, he's like, well, Hector, I'm sad. I can't go fight. I'm, I'm melancholic. It's going to take me forever <laughs> to put my armor on. We've all been there. You know. If the Greeks are fighting for a stupid cause, it seems like the Trojans have it even worse. But, you know, what would be the alternative? Just be like, here's our shitty son. <laughs> Take him. He's yours. Yeah. Why don't they just hand Paris over? Because that's... Is, is there anybody who likes him? It's like admitting the whole royal line has got something rotten in it. Yeah. But why... Yeah. He do be like the prince of the city. Yeah. Well, Hector is the prince of the city. There um, can be two princes. Is I think I kind of I don't know why I thought that's a good point. I guess I thought Paris was like first in line. Mm-mm, I think no, it's Hector. It's, it's Hector. Yeah. But he is still a royal baby boy. A worthless one. <laughs> that's often the case. Yeah, I guess you can't really, like, steal back a late, like, you can't steal his wife and then, you know, that's not acceptable. Yeah, I guess the question is sort of, like, what, you know, what justice would have been acceptable in this situation? If the Trojans were like, you know, it's a stupid cause for us to go to war for, how could they have made amends to the Greeks in a way that would have been acceptable? I just feel like you can't at this point, like... Yeah. I mean, they're in the... Like, it's not like you can just give up because it's their home. Like, they're not really fighting on behalf of Paris. They're fighting on behalf of their own, like, wives and children. And it's just, Mm -hmm. like, this dude's fault. But you can't really be mad at him because he is, like, prime son. No, they're very mad at him. Like, Hector does just directly tell him, like, all the troops fucking hate you. All they do is talk shit about you. Everybody fucking hates Yeah. But they're not going to not, you know what I mean? Whether or not it's on his behalf, they're protecting his wife. And they're not going to stop doing that unless they lose. I think protecting Helen is more of like an incidental feature for them than it is really what they're doing. And I mean, the other thing is that the war has just been going on for so long at this point. You can't really back out when you've got such a stake in the game. I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, I guess maybe is there something to say for for duty absent a just cause that, you know, the Trojans are fulfilling their duties, people like Diomedes are fulfilling their duties, even though, say, the rulers or the causes they're fighting for are particularly unjust or don't make terribly much sense. I mean, what what do you mean by duty in that situation? Like, that's just... It, yeah. Sets of obligations that are outside of, like, moral choice. Um, like, Diomedes has, like, obligations to, to Agamemnon. Hector has obligations to his city. These are stupid causes. They could just hand Paris over, but Hector has duties. Um, is there a sort of a tension between doing things that are just versus duties 
maybe you know that, that these people are going this through. is also a cultural thing but i just don't really care that much about duty okay um when the causes are stupid aren't you an emt yeah but that's that's very different than yeah <laughs> you know how i go out and i help people even though they're kind of assholes and they probably don't deserve it that doesn't really square with um starting a war killing a bunch of people because somebody told me to okay let's let's for the Achaeans though right like they made an agreement so they had this sense of duty and then the time came to come protect Menelaos and none of them wanted to do it and it was this man who clearly just wants glory money and women that persuaded all of them to sail to Troy and do this big old war. Um, and they still haven't even gotten this goddamn woman back. Yeah, they, I mean, they, the Greeks are pretty fucking incompetent. I gotta love the Greeks. Yeah, man, how hard can it be? It's, well, like, what, what are you doing for nine years? You don't have a fucking wall up yet? Like, Jesus. What are they even eating? I don't know. They're, they live on a beach. Fish? Ox. Must be. They eat ox. Hmm. Where are they getting Where'd the oxen? Get I think they are breeding them in the ships. You can't fit that many ox on a ship. I, I don't. I don't think that's how it works. I. I mean, there must be you got oxes. They have to have, hate boats. They have to have a lot of livestock on hand for all of the sacrifices that they're doing. That's true. Or they have like extremely complicated logistics going back to Greece. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot going on here. Who's who's sending the bread? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to think there might be plot holes in, myth- in this mythological <laughs> Homer, you stupid asshole. <laughs> Got to mention the, cha- the, cha- the supply chains. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm thinking. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut off the laughter. No, go ahead. I was just wondering how much, okay, if we can, like, truly go through the difference in duty and justice here. Because, let's start with the Achaeans, right? Justice, in this sense, applies to all of the men in in Greece, right? Or all of the men who are suitors for Helen in Greece. Um, they have, like, not only a sense of duty, but also it's the just thing to do, right? Because if they had married Helen, they would have expected the same response had this happened to them. Yes or no? What do we think about that? Yes. I think that is the case. (sighs) Yeah. I'm not sure that, you know, I think of justice as something that like accounts for wrongs. So I feel like that's more duty than justice, but. Well, the wrong of, like, the whole fear of marrying Helen and paying for her was she's obviously just going to be stolen as soon as she gets married, right? Like, that was the whole mm-hmm. backstory. Right. And so to protect that from happening, all the Greeks were like, mm but they did not foresee foreign invaders. So a little bit of a hole in their plan there. But anyway... So there is like there was a there was a wrong that they now have to make right from a sense of duty, but also from a sense of like that could have been me. Mm-hmm. 
again, it's, I feel like that's like a really weak justification, though. I don't know. Thoughts? Help me out. I mean, is your question what motivates them to, like, out of what virtue are they going to war in this instance? Well, just if, if we're thinking of justice as, like, something you do to right a wrong or, you know, create a consequence for an action that negatively impacted you, then I think those conditions are met for all of the Achaeans. But mm-hmm. it just, it, I don't know. Like, to get them there, it feels correct. And obviously then they, that's the reasoning for going. They can't leave until they have her. Um, but the I don't know, the way in which Agamemnon is, like, leading them makes it feel like kind of a weak justification to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's the, the aspect that, that requires the duty on their part. The obligation they have that's that they're bound to them outside of the the ethical justification that that they have to honor despite you know it really being rather flimsy i mean i guess it's just it seems to me it's all wrapped up in this question of why do people like hector and diomedes actually bother it, it strikes me they have to have some reason for not just say tossing Paris out of the city or Diomedes just not saying fuck it and going home because Agamemnon's worthless, you know. It strikes me maybe it is duty, maybe it's just honor, maybe it's that these are superficial reasons and they have other reasons for doing things. I don't know. Or it's just about, you know, personal rivalries, earning glory, a name. Things like that. The the point that I was going to make, asking why Hector is there, one thing that I think we should notice is that it seems to fluctuate depending on where he is. Like in book six, when he sees his wife and his kids, then you're reminded that, oh, right, he is protecting his family. But as they continue through the fighting, he does become more glory minded, especially after they uh, kind of turn the Achaeans back. And, Zeus is throwing thunderbolts and it looks like everything is looking really dark and grim for the Greeks. And Hector is like, we are going to chase them all the way back to their ships and we're going to burn them in their ships. Goodbye, Greeks. Um, so it does seem like the the prolonged action of fighting has an impact on why they're fighting. I mean, I, I think I, I'd say something sort of interesting is that it clearly gives Hector a very unrealistic expectation of his own prowess um, that when this occurs, because you know, he loses to Ajax in their duel, and then Zeus has to start throwing thunderbolts at Diomedes, so Diomedes doesn't kill him. Um, it's it's kind of tragic, I guess, in a way, for Hector, because like it's this moment of sort of glory, moment of hope, I guess you could say, that seems unrealistic. Given that, you know, he, he is kind of saved by the gods twice in this one section. But I mean, maybe that's something interesting to talk about going forward is, um, you know, the nature that hope plays, I guess, for the Trojans in this, because it is, you know, been decided ahead of time that they're fated to die. Um, the Greeks truly, the Greeks clearly have the better heroes 
the Greeks are stronger. You know, it doesn't strike me that even knowing how this, this ends, um, there's really much reason for the Trojans to think they're going to win this thing. Well, they don't know that <laughs> they're fated to lose. They don't? They don't. Oh, I, don't know. I don't think they know Why they're fated, they? but I think they know the only reason that they're doing well is because um, Hector can finally go out into the field and fight and isn't afraid of being instantly killed by Achilles. <laughs> well, the thing is, Agamemnon clearly <laughs> sort of knows that they're fated to win. The Greeks are at least aware um, that it's sort of been decreed that they would win this war. I would imagine the Trojans would have to know. I don't know. I like who who told them? The gods. I don't know. Eagles flying around the sky. Dreams. Anyone can interpret an eagle in any way they want, and it seems to me you don't really keep on fighting if you're like, you know what? I know. I know we're gonna get dunked well, on. Maybe you do. You know, what do I know it's about worth war? Asking why people fight in hopeless situations. Yeah, it is worth asking. <laughs> I would just give up personally. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess you're just built different. I have a self-preservation instinct. To, self-preservation? To give up? That's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I have an anti-self-preservation instinct. <laughs> well, it... I have Freud's death drive. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> that might be a good place to pick up next time. <laughs> I think we'll do nine. Oh, God, we can't leave nine, off on 10, this 11. note. 9, 10, and 11 uh, for the next one. Um, you know, maybe talk a little more about the role Hope plays, uh, not Cleo's willingness to lie down. And how and fucking <laughs> cool Achilles is. I'm doing fine. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. guys. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.